Good afternoon. Thanks. If you haven't met me, my name is Scott. I'm a chaplain in UCD and part of our church here at Holy Trinity. We tried, I tried an experiment a couple of weeks ago where I decided to put the talk up on Insta Live just in case, you know, just for any of our students or anything like that. Managed to put it right here just behind the projector, which is perfect where the fan could blow straight into the microphone. And so people were listening to it being like, I can't hear any of this. And then I looked through the comments and was like, oh, I wonder, oh, like, there's a few people who have commented here. This is very exciting. Turns out it was all you people. Like, you're here. You don't need to be watching it on Insta and commenting on this at the same time. Um, but that gave me a bit of a giggle. Um, so we're continuing our um, Lenten series on the final words of Jesus, the final things that he says on the cross throughout the different Gospels. Um, on our first Sunday in the series, we looked at um, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was part of our Venezuelan Sunday. And, and we, asked, we had that conversation about forgiveness um, in the midst of suffering and of persecution and injustice and oppression. And that was really moving and powerful. Then we talked about um, Jesus' words in John 19 to his, his mother Mary when he says, he says to he says to her, mother, uh, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, and what it was like for them to take each other as their own, and for church to be family, and for, have to, to, for us to have that sense of connection and responsibility and, um, uh, respo um, for each other. And then last week, Dillis did a brilliant talk on, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this idea of the lament and, and our experience of, of what seems to be God's absence. And today we're returning to John chapter 19 to a couple of verses just after Jesus's moment with, um, uh, from two weeks ago with his mother and John, where John writes this. After this, Jesus knew that all was now finished. He said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. John seems to think it's obvious which scripture he's fulfilling, but actually it's a mystery. I've read a bunch of different commentaries and I've read a good bit around this, but John didn't have like a footnoting system. Like he, when you read your Bible today and you see like little references to verses down the bottom, that's not how John was doing it in papyrus. Even the idea of the chapters and verses are things that come later. And so he says, um, so that the scripture will be um, in order to fulfill the scripture, but it's 2,000 years later and scholars still can't agree which exact scripture he's referring to. Some people think it could be um, Psalm 42, and it could be based around this theme of thirst that runs through um, those who are crying out to God. In Psalm 42, it says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? And so he's crying out, asking to behold the face of God. And, and we don't know if that's to come into the temple, or if that's actually this idea that at the end of life you come to face God. Is he asking for um, a, a deliverance by experiencing the holy place, or is he asking for deliverance by it all being over and him meeting his maker. In Matthew 27, as Jesus is dying, people are watching and they're mocking him saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. If he is the Messiah, let him come down 
from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. And it's the same in Psalm 42 where it says, while people say to me continually, where is your God? According to um, this really interesting commentary written by a guy called J. Ramsey Michaels, um, and he, his argument is that actually when Jesus says, I am thirsty in the Gospel of John, this might be John's equivalent of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Others um, claim that this is a reference to Psalm 69. Now, it was very difficult for me when I was um, reading the psalm to just get um, pick some highlights from it. So this is a little bit longer, and I'm going to read it unashamedly with gusto, because I think too, many, uh, too often when we like, grow up in church world, we can, you know, we can hear the reading of a particular set of verses, and when, we, when, we read those, when the verses are read, particularly in the last couple hundred years, the idea of being church in community has been, been around kind of formality rather than authenticity. And so sometimes you can read a gut-wrenching psalm that comes deep from somebody's heart from the worst moment in their life, and we can read it without the emotion that they would have put into it. And so the psalmist writes this in Psalm 69, "'Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck.'" I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. And many are those who would destroy me, my enemies who accuse me falsely. What I did not steal must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Do not let those who hope in you be put to shame because of me, O oh Lord God of hosts. Do not let those who seek you be dishonored because of me, O oh God of Israel. It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. It is zeal for your father's house that has consumed me. And as you, um, if we pause there, um, this, this line is actually big in the Gospel of John because when John tells the story of Jesus' ministry, he puts the, the story of Jesus clearing the temple right at the beginning, almost like a, um, like a foreshadowing of what everything else he, he does is going to be about breaking down all the barriers, whether economic, whether um, sociopolitical, whether religious, to, that hold people back from the presence of God. And it says that after he cleared the temple, the disciples remembered the words from the past. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. And it's amazing that this passion for the house of the Lord where all would be welcome and where all would be known and all would be seen, where, where the presence of God would be powerfully there and nobody would be kept out. That at the moment of his death, which is quickly coming after his declaration that he is thirsty, the temple curtain will be torn from top to bottom, allowing everyone into the holiest of holies, to the presence of God that is now open to everyone. But the psalm continues, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting, they insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O oh God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. With your faithful help, 
Rescue me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me. Redeem me. Set me free because of my enemies. You know the insults I receive and my shame and dishonor and my foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Sour wine and vinegar in the first century were the same thing. And he cries out, I am thirsty. And they put a a sponge filled with vinegar to his lips to satiate his thirst. And so it could be that Jesus is referencing this in order to bring other people's minds to it. Or perhaps it's John who makes the connection and says, he's thirsty just like the psalmist was thirsty and he was given vinegar. And so is fulfilled this psalm, which is the heart cry of the unjustly accused and persecuted. Or it could be linked to Psalm 22. The same psalm from last Sunday, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For this one, I just picked a couple of verses, because no one wants to go through that again. Um, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a, a, potsherd, a, a shard of pottery, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, which had happened just earlier in this chapter. And for my clothing, they cast lots. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. We can't be 100% sure exactly which scripture John is referring to here. And as a lover, as somebody who has come to love mystery, I love that. But no matter which one it is, no matter what scripture it is fulfilling or what psalm or song it is pointing to, they make us profoundly aware of a crucial truth that lies at the center of the Christian faith. And that is that in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus fully embraced the vulnerability of our experience. He knows what it's like to become thirsty, whether for water, for the presence of God, or even for death itself. What stuck out to me as I was reading this passage as well, um, as it did a couple weeks ago, was the physiology and the physicality of it. We often see, as, as writers describe these historical things that are happening in front of them, um, at the time, um, their, their understanding wouldn't have been able to tell them why certain things happened with bodies or events or physics, but later, we under, um, science has helped us understand some of the things that happen. For example, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus in the, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He's saying, let this cup pass from me, and when He's weeping and crying out in prayer, it says that He sweats blood. And apparently, others can tell me better, um, this is known as a condition called hematidrosis, a condition where capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture and cause uh, blood to come out. They wouldn't have known that at the time. They're just saying what they're seeing. And yet we see in in the physiology and the physicality of it, somebody who's enduring dread, heartbreak, anguish, agony. 
And I think we see it here too as Jesus in, with, with nails driven through hands and feet, struggling for every breath, suddenly asks for something to drink. And I think this is like almost a sign that his body is breaking down, that the pain is fading into the background as he goes into shock, that he's entering into his final moments. There is nothing to be done for the pain that has become his reality. And it fades into the background as he becomes present to his mouth and his thirst. Present to the fact that it's almost over. And so in this, the thing that keeps coming back to me is that if you have ever endured thirst or hunger or need, so has Jesus. If you've ever longed for God's presence and cried out at his seeming absence, so has Jesus. Have you ever struggled to hold on to the promise that even in the deepest night and even in your darkest moments, God has not hidden his face from you and from your pain? So has Jesus. Have you ever longed for the pain to be over? So has Jesus. These ideas, they sound almost heretical. And that's exactly what the reaction was in the first century. Those around Jesus couldn't imagine the uh, Messiah who would take on this form, a Messiah who would be arrested, who would be defeated, who would be killed. It was unimaginable to the minds of those watching and waiting. But as Paul describes it, the gospel is foolishness to the wise. This vulnerability, this pain, this need, this thirst, this hurt, this heartbreak, these are not flaws or failures of the Christian faith. It is part of the glory and the goodness of God. As the writer of the Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who knows exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet was without sin. Too many people have been told that the primary message of Christianity is that you are not enough. But on the cross, Jesus reveals to us that we are not alone. That God has entered into our life, entered into our mess, entered into our pain, entered into the heartbreak of our unanswered prayers, entered into the shedding of our blood, entered into the loss of those who matter to us. That he has experienced all things the imaginable and the unimaginable. And this isn't something that he hides, but something instead that he declares. He says, I am thirsty. The God who speaks the universe into existence, the God who with a word separates the waters so that land appears in creation, experiences in his mouth the lack of water, the need of water, the limitation of being human. And it is him to whom we pray, the one who knows this heartbreak, who knows this pain. When John talks about this being for the fulfillment of Scripture, there is one thing that we now call Scripture that John wouldn't have seen as Scripture at the time that I am reminded of as I read it. 
It's earlier in the Gospel of John, and I don't think, I don't know if John could ever have imagined that his Gospel would end up becoming part of Scripture. When he says Scripture, he means the Torah, what we call the Old Testament, but it has become our Scripture, and, and I, as, I, as I read these words, I am thirsty, I was also drawn back to John chapter 4 and the story of the woman at the well, where Jesus says to the woman, I am thirsty, will you give me something to drink? And they go back and forth. Jesus says to her, if you knew who it was who asked you for this drink, you would ask him for it, and you would never go thirsty again. You would never have to return to this well. And Jesus says, and she responds to Jesus, and she says, where will you get this water? For the well is deep, and you have nothing with which to carry it. And I was struck as I read this, that this is almost like a callback to this moment. That the life that we are offered, the, that as we cry out in our thirst and we are, and as we long for fulfillment and for redemption and for hope, that the, that the drink that Jesus offers, that when she says that the well is deep and you have nothing with which to get it, it's almost like the, the, the reaching down into the well is like his death and what he brings back up for us is resurrection. It is the eternal life that as we drink it and partake in it, it doesn't just satisfy our thirst, it becomes a spring within us because resurrection brings new life over and over and over again. It becomes part of how we live, part of how we love, part of how we connect to each other. It becomes the byword for our community. This idea that resurrection is not just something that happened, but something that is happening in each one of us. And so he knows our prayer, he knows our pain, he knows our heart's cry. And he knows as the firstborn, as what he, Paul calls Jesus, the firstborn among the dead, the first one to return, the first one to experience the eternity of this experience. He also knows that our stories don't end in this moment, and that his is the final word on where the story goes.